In our lesson this morning, we uh, discussed how the church came together to try to, to find some unity and to reach some common ground about a particular issue that came up. When you look at all of the obstacles the church has to overcome, sometimes those come from the outside, sometimes there's sin within the church, but one of the most common and uh, most difficult obstacles to overcome is when matters of church doctrine arrive. And Christians have to figure out, okay, how are we going to work together to honor truth, to maintain unity, and to expand the kingdom? And those seem to be the primary issues that concern with the council. Uh, it's often called the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. You want to continue reaching the lost and expanding the kingdom. You want to do so in such a way that doesn't divide and destroy the church, but you also need to do so in such a way that honors the truth of God. And it doesn't uh, take what God's word has said and just so dilute it or water it down or ignore it so that you're kind of you're running the show without the Lord's say and so how is it that you make all those things work and it's not always easy to do uh, it's it's often complex but one thing that I love about Acts 15 is that we have churches brave enough to meet together to try to decide these things. You have the church at Antioch who's having these disputes and they go to the brothers uh, in Jerusalem and they seek counsel and they seek uh, some, some uh, discussion and answers and, and they work through things. And it is incredible that after listening to the experiences of Paul and Barnabas and after listening to the experiences of Peter and after noting the work of the Holy Spirit and after seeing scripture and what it has to say and the words of the prophets quoted by James, it says in Acts chapter 15 and verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. Like what they decide seems good to all of them. And that's, that's a wonderful happy ending. And as a matter of fact, uh, after they, they kind of put their plan into motion, it leads to a lot of rejoicing and encouragement. It leads to unity. It leads to doctrinal truth. And it leads to the expansion of the kingdom of God. What we're going to do tonight as we discuss uh, a little bit uh, more uh, about this chapter is look at what their solution was. We made reference to it this morning. It's the idea that they were going to uh, write a letter to the church at Antioch and help, through that letter, guide them into understanding the Lord's will. What we're going to do, what we've done the last several uh, Sunday nights, is we've looked at different sermons that were preached, uh, different sermons that pop up in the book of Acts. Well, we're not going to look at the sermon as much as we are a letter, although there is a lengthy sermon then uh, given, kind of expounding upon this letter that we do not have access to. In Acts chapter 15, in verse 32, it says uh, that the, the letter was read, and then after that, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, they encouraged and strengthened the church with a lengthy message. I think they took some of the precepts in this letter and, and delivered them in such a way that they brought encouragement and, and comfort and joy and understanding to the church. And so uh, we're looking at the, the basis of a sermon here. Uh, we're going to look at a letter that helped answer some questions and that also brought encouragement to the church. Um, if you look at Acts chapter 15, in verse uh, 19 and 20, these are the words of James. And James is going to briefly describe his letter right here, and then we'll actually read through the letter. But notice verse 19 says, Therefore it is my judgment 
that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write them that they abstain from things polluted or contaminated by idols. That's kind of an important word right there. Keep in mind, polluted or contaminated. That's a word that appears one time in the New Testament in this form. So it's kind of a rare word, but it's, a, it's an important idea uh, as we continue this study. But import, uh, polluted or contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. Okay. So that's what he encourages the church to abstain from. And then we'll get to the letter in verse 23. But right now, those four stipulations, you guys do not have to follow the law of Moses, but don't eat things polluted by idols, don't commit acts of fornication, and avoid blood and things strangled. I don't know about you, but if I'm writing a letter to a group of Christians and I'm going to try to encourage them to stay faithful and I'm going to come up with four things to put on a list of uh, what I think are essential for them to do in order for them to, to be faithful in their, uh, you know, in unity with the church and in following Jesus, these would not be the top four on my list. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe one or two of them could make the list, uh, I guess, but I doubt I'd mention anything about blood. As a matter of fact, it doesn't come up very often. The thing that often um, gets noted about this passage, and we'll discuss it here in a little bit, is the four things that are mentioned, uh, why are they mentioned? Like, where do they come from? Are they from the law of Moses? They actually kind of sound like things from the law of Moses. But if they're from the law of Moses, wasn't this whole council just like to determine that they didn't have to follow the law of Moses. And then all of a sudden you take four things from the law of Moses and you bind it on. You say, no, circumcision, of course not. But eating things uh, that have been strangled, that's a no-no. And you think, well, it sounds like you're still kind of using the law of Moses and binding it on Gentiles, at least a little bit, right? Uh, or, or people would say, well, maybe it's not from the law of Moses. Maybe these are just moral things that the church needs to do. And that's for all churches and all people of all time. And you say, okay, but isn't that also a weird list if it's just completely a random summation of what Christian morality is? Why not put don't lie? Why not put don't murder? Why not put don't steal? Why, why these four and only these four? Why, why even add that part of the letter? Why not just write a letter that says, hey, you Gentiles, you've obeyed the gospel and you're good. Thank you for joining the church and we're looking forward to our lives together as brethren. Like, it's, a, it's just, it's a strange thing, and, it, and it, there have been countless pages written about it, uh, about basically uh, why these were given, where they come from, what they mean, what it is, uh, like whether they are eternal truths for the church to follow, or whether they are, uh, you know, something maybe for that particular time or context, or, I mean, it kind of sounds like some of them might be eternal truths, like fornication, you know, that's something that we wouldn't say, that's a, you know, if you want to or not, but, uh, but when it comes to blood, I, I, I just moved here from Louisiana last year, the beginning of last year, and you know what they have in Louisiana? Boudin. You know what boudin uh, is made with? It's made with blood, and there are people, they're curious, am I allowed to eat that? Uh, now, not all boudin is made with blood. I love boudin, but I've never had blood boudin before. But, uh, but uh, that, those are questions that people have. And there are other, other foods also that we even eat today that, uh, I mean, how, how do you like your steak cooked? Uh, you know, does this passage have anything to say on what I do when I go to Texas Roadhouse and I order a steak and they say, how do you want that cooked? Do you, well done. You know, it's like, do, do you have to go that route or can you, can you get a good steak? Uh, no offense to people who like a well-done steak, um, but you're wrong. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, anyway, all of that is to say, this is this passage has led to a lot of questions, and I don't know that I'll be able to answer all of them. Uh, I do think it's, it's an interesting discussion, though. So we'll go through the letter, and then uh, we'll discuss those four stipulations and, and hopefully uh, bring up some thoughts that might, uh, that might help clarify some things, but also might uh, um, you know, just give us a little bit more information about it and as we each come to our own conclusions on it. But going to the letter... I think it's a beautifully written letter. Uh, I love the, 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 the style of it. I love also some of the, the things that are kind of added to it that help fortify the message of it. Uh, and we'll notice those as we go through. But verse 23 is where the letter actually begins. It says, And they sent this letter by them. Uh, and this is going to be by uh, Barnabas and Paul, and also by Judas and Silas. Um, so these four people who are well-known and have a good reputation, they're trustworthy men, they're the ones given this letter to go present it to uh, the church there. Verse 23 says, here's the letter. The apostles and the brethren who are elders, to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, greetings. So he just named, this is the Jerusalem church. This is like the heart of where Christianity has started. Uh, it's a very predominantly Jewish church. Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be like pretty much entirely a Jewish church. And, and it's also a Jewish church that uh, as you continue to read, they are zealous about the law of Moses. In fact, uh, when Paul goes to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, uh, he goes there and he, he's, uh, that's, it ends up being where he's arrested, but he meets with James and some leaders of the church, and you find out there that these people are very zealous about the law of Moses. And another controversy arises when you get to that point in like chapter 21. So when you get to chapter 15, here's the question. Gentiles entering the church, do they have to obey the law of Moses first? And ultimately, the answer that the church gives is no, although the law of Moses is still going to be useful. Um, and, and you'll see that here in, in, this, uh, in this letter. But by the time you get a couple chapters later, Paul's going to be arrested at the temple in Jerusalem. And the reason he's arrested is because uh, everyone's upset at him. But here's what the controversy is. People hear that he is saying Jews don't have to follow the law of Moses. And that's something that is, it's a different issue. It's not the question of, all right, if you take a Gentile like Cornelius, who's never been a Jew, and you teach him the gospel, does he have to be circumcised and become a Jew first? The answer is no. But if you're someone who is born a Jew, and if you are someone who has been an adherent to the law of Moses, do you, can, can you forsake the law of Moses? and still be part of, of the covenant. And the church in Jerusalem's answer is no, you cannot. You cannot do that. And Paul's answer is not quite as clearly that. Uh, Paul uh, seems to, in distinction from James, like this is one of the things that's fascinating. Even on this topic, you have a diversity of views among early Christians, even leaders in the church. And James seems to think, along with the church in Jerusalem, you still have to keep the law of Moses if you're, if you're a Jew. Paul seems to think, I believe, it's optional. You can keep the law of Moses, or you cannot keep the law of Moses, or at least certain parts of the law of Moses. And it gets really complex when you start looking at what parts of the law of Moses the church seems to, to not keep as strictly, and which parts the church seems to keep strictly, and whether Jews are doing that or Gentiles are doing that. But what's fascinating 
is the church in Jerusalem, they're with Paul. They say, hey, here would be a good idea. We want you to show that you still take seriously and keep the law of Moses. The church here is, is an, an uproar about it. So here's what you do. Go to the temple and offer sacrifice in obedience to Moses to show the church here that you still do it. And you know what Paul's answer is? Okay. And Paul does that. Like, he goes to the temple and offers sacrifice. Uh, and and he, he does that as a demonstration to the church that he still holds to the law of Moses. And so there's, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Anyway, while he's there is when he ends up getting arrested. But all of that is a way to say there's so much that the church is grappling with, even as, like, even throughout the book of Acts. There's not complete clarity on all of these topics, and the church is trying to work through them. And, and so it's, it's fascinating to me uh, to see, you know, we sometimes in the church today have doctrinal questions, and we have things that other churches are doing, and we think, oh, I wouldn't do that, and we, think, and we kind of look and we try to figure some of those things out. That's not unique to us. The church has always had questions that they've had to try to figure out and work through together and, and try to maintain unity, but try to still put forth truth. And, and they, it's not always easy. And, and you see that like over and over again throughout Acts. And you see it largely dealing with things concerning the law of Moses and what is the church to do with these things. And the answer does not seem to be as simple as, well, we're not under the law of Moses anymore, so that doesn't matter. We have a new way of... Like, they don't, that's not the answer they're giving. Uh, there's, there's more nuance than that to it, and it's not always easy to work it out, and they seem to struggle to work it out. And I love being able to read their struggle and, and sympathize with it and think, yeah, I've, I've sometimes struggled with trying to work these things out. Uh, and we can see, and we, and we can learn how they tried to overcome some of these things. But all of that is to say, we're dealing with some of the most controversial topics that the church was dealing with right now in these texts. Um, if we were to come up with our list of most controversial topics, it probably wouldn't be things about circumcision or, or necessarily the law of Moses, but we'd have a list. Uh, you could probably come up with one in your head right now. Um, and sometimes it's difficult to know, okay, where is it that I elevate unity to on this list? And if others, like if, if I can practice this, but you're not practicing this, can you still be my brother or do I have to to demand that you do this the way that I, and sometimes the answer might be yes, and sometimes the answer might be no, and working that out is going to be a challenge that the church has had for 2,000 years, and it'll probably continue to be a challenge in the future, uh, but that's, that's one of the, the difficult things about uh, being followers of, of Jesus. Sometimes it calls us to strive for unity even with uncertainty, and, uh, and I think you see a lot of that going on as we get to this section of Acts. There's a lot of questions about these types of topics. All of that is to say, uh, when you get to uh, this letter right here, you have at least an agreement on this topic from the church in Jerusalem to the church at Antioch. <laughs> What'll be interesting is when you, uh, later when Paul writes the book of, of uh, Galatians, apparently there are others who, uh, are going around and they've just ignored the decrees of this council and they're still teaching that Gentiles uh, need to be circumcised and Paul isn't as friendly in that one as, uh, as you see perhaps uh, right here in Acts 15 when they're trying to work through these things. By the time you get to Galatians 2, he says, look, if they're doing that, then they're teaching a different gospel. Uh, they're no longer teaching the truth of God, and, uh, and, and that's, that's wrong, and that's a sin, and that's, that they are anathema for that. So it eventually gets to the point where you cannot start binding on Gentiles 
these things that God has not bound on Gentiles. Um, right here, we have uh, kind of the beginnings of the church working through some of these issues, and, uh, and so we'll see what the letter says. Verse 24, it continues. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's quite an introduction to the letter, but what they're saying is basically, okay, church at Antioch, I know you've been hearing some things from the Jewish Christians, probably even from Jerusalem, and they're telling you that you're not truly saved or not truly part of the covenant unless you've been circumcised. I want you to know we did not send them to say that. Uh, we do not want them to unsettle your souls or trouble you or cause problems for your church. Uh, that's, not, that's not from us. They are doing it on their own. We, however, have discussed these things, and we've taken these things very seriously, and uh, we have decided to send you what we believe uh, the truth of God is on these topics, and we're sending them by some people who are good and godly men. We love them. We love Barnabas and Paul. Um, and, and Silas and, and Judas, you know well. And I love how he says at the end of verse 26, or in verse 26, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these people are not pretending here. These people are proclaiming the gospel with utmost sincerity. They love Jesus so much that they would give their lives for him. As a matter of fact, you can read the previous chapters and see that Paul has just been stoned and left for dead in Lystra uh, and dragged out of the city before he got up and continued to preach the gospel. Paul cares so much about the gospel, he'll give his life for it. So he's not going to make some of these gospel decisions lightly. He cares about this. It matters to him. It matters Im like, immensely to him. And so we're sending you people of utmost sincerity who would give their lives for the truth of the gospel, and we want them to be an encouragement to you. Look at verse 27. He says, Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will report the same things uh, by word of mouth. Basically, uh, Judas and Silas, they're going to go also, and they're going to confirm everything that uh, you'll hear from Paul and Barnabas and everything that the church here in Jerusalem uh, has, uh, has, uh, has decided. Verse 28, and here's basically what it is. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit, so they have divine authority for this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And I think that's an important way to word that. He's not just saying, we folks got together and made some doctrinal decisions here. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit worked with the church on this. And uh, the Holy Spirit and us have uh, reached some agreements that we think uh, you need to hear. And the agreement is this, to lay upon you no greater burden than these requirements or than these essentials. Um, and so when it comes to circumcision, that's not one of them. Uh, when it comes to uh, obedience to the law of Moses and Torah, that's not, that's not part of this. Uh, when it comes to the food regulations or Sabbath observance, those are not things that are mentioned here. And so those who are wanting to take the Gentiles and make them have to obey the law of Moses, they're doing more than they could even do. Uh, they're binding upon you more than they're able to obey themselves. And so we are not going to do that to you. However, there is a list of things that we want you to take seriously. And he gives that list in verse 29. This is the list we start off talking about. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood 
and from the things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. Um, and so they do not bind circumcision, and they do not bind uh, the things that, would, that you would have to do in order to become a Jew. But they do mention these four things. Uh, avoiding things sacrificed to idols, uh, avoiding uh, blood, animals that have been strangled, and fornication. Notice the order that those come in in this letter also. The first one is things sacrificed to idols. Um, the second one is blood. The third one is uh, things that have been strangled. And then the fourth one is fornication. I think that's an important order. Also, remember the word I mentioned earlier in verse 20, polluted or contaminated. I think all of this is going to be perhaps a helpful clue as to why of all the things that could have been listed, these are listed. Here are some things that I think we have to have in our minds as we start discussing why these four things and what they mean. I believe that they have to be relevant in some way to the question of whether or not Gentiles have to obey the law of Moses. Uh, they have to be relevant to the context and the topic of Acts 15. Uh, if, they're, if they're not, then you could have made this list anything you wanted to, and all of a sudden it becomes really a random list that doesn't make a lot of sense if it's completely unrelated to the question that is on everyone's mind. So right now, this, this is going to be answering the question of what from the law of Moses Gentiles have to do. And we don't want you to have to do any of these other things, but these four things are mentioned, and they do, in fact, all come from the law of Moses. And so uh, there are parts of the law of Moses that they are telling the Gentiles to follow. Uh, it seems to me that, that that's, if it wasn't from the law of Moses, then it would make no sense to put it here in Acts 15. And the fact that we can find it in the law of Moses really seems to indicate that, uh, that that's, that's what these four requirements are about. There are four things from the law of Moses that uh, they want the, children, the, the Gentile Christians to do. Uh, and if they do them, they will do well. So what are the four things, and why are these four things chosen? Well, if you read through the Law of Moses, there's actually a really important uh, section from the book of Leviticus that, if you read through it, it's going to talk about polluting and contaminating. It's going to give a list of things that should be uh, avoided in order. And those things are going to go, number one, eating things sacrificed to idols. Uh, they're going to talk about drinking or eating uh, blood, talk about things that animals that have been strangled, and then it'll give a big long list of things that are considered fornication. And that's in Leviticus chapter 17 and 18. So take your Bibles back to Leviticus 17 and 18. And I think this is the area where the logic of the letter is going to come from. Uh, Remember, these are people who know their Bibles quite well. They know the law of Moses pretty well, and uh, they take the law of Moses seriously. And so we're going to see what they tell the Gentiles to do from the law of Moses. Chapter 17 or, yeah, of Leviticus, um, we're going to start reading in, uh, in verse 3. Some interesting things are going are to be mentioned here, um, but notice some of these requirements. Any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or who slaughters it outside of the camp and has not brought it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guiltiness is to be reckoned to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. All right, so that first law is kind of interesting. If you slaughter a goat or a lamb... And you do it whether you're in the city or out of the city. Be sure and take it 
to the doorway of the, of the tabernacle. Be sure and take it to the priests. Uh, if you don't, then blood guiltiness is going to be upon you because you killed an animal. You, you shed blood and, uh, and you didn't take it to a priest. I'll also say, I think along with this, and this will become clear in here in just a second, there's also the idea that if you're not offering as, as a sacrifice to the Lord, that probably indicates you're offering it as a sacrifice to some other god or for some other reason. Um, if you're going to kill an animal and cook it, basically that, that's what you do with an animal when you offer it up to God, you're cooking that animal on fire, uh, and you're not doing it for the Lord, people generally always sacrificed their animals to something. It, it, eating meat wasn't quite as simple as it was in our culture and context, and you would usually use the cooking of the animal as an act of worship. And so what he's saying is if you're killing animals, cooking and eating them, and you're not offering them to the Lord, you have the blood guiltiness of that animal on you, and you're probably engaged in, uh, in some sort of idolatry because of that. Uh, that'll become a little bit more clear as we keep reading, but keep some of those ideas in your mind. Verse 5 says, The reason is so that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they were sacrificing in the open field, and that they may bring them into the Lord to the doorway of the tent of meeting to the priest and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. So instead of just offering it by yourself out in a field, go to the priest and offer it there to the Lord. Like, if you're going to cook and eat an animal, give it, make it sure it's a praise to God and a peace offering. Verse 6 says, The priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting and offer up the fat in smoke as a, smoothing aroma, a soothing aroma to the Lord. So it'll become an act of worship to God if you do this. Verse 7, and this is why I think the idolatry is associated with it. They shall no longer sacrifice... Their sacrifices to the goat demons or the goat idols. Uh, some of your Bibles might have a slightly different translation there, but the idea is uh, to the go like the goat god or the, the the goat idols that are often worshipped. Which he says, with which they play the harlot. This shall be a permanent statute to them throughout their generations. So don't offer up your offering to the goat idol out there in the field. Instead, if you're going to sacrifice an animal, go to the tent and bring it to the Lord. That is for all the sons of Israel. You are not supposed to just go and kill an animal and cook it out in your field. Uh, that's often going to be associated with idolatry. Instead, bring it and make sure that it's cooked to the Lord. Now, notice verse 8, and verse 8 is key for our understanding of this whole topic, I think. Verse 8 says, then you shall say to them, any man from the house of Israel, and then notice the next phrase, or from the aliens who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice and does not bring it to the doorway of the tent of meeting uh, to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. So what he's, this first you know, nine verses is about if you offer something, don't offer it to idols and eat that food. Instead, bring it as an offering to the Lord. What's rule number one in that letter? Uh, no eating of things sacrificed to idols. Leviticus 17 starts off by saying, don't offer your food to idols and eat it. Instead, bring it to the Lord. And notice who this rule is for. It's for all the sons of Israel in verse 8, but then also for the aliens who sojourn among them. Basically, if you have Gentiles living in the land of Israel, they don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to force them to obey the law of Moses. You don't have to force them to become Jews. But there are certain things that they are expected to do. Don't go eating meats offered to idols. 
Don't go cooking things to idols and then going and having this idol type of meal. Leave idols out of Israel. So don't be bringing that in. All right. Then he's going to say something else. Verse 10. And any man from the house of Israel, then notice the, the phrase again. It's going to pop up five times here in our section. Or from the aliens who sojourn among them. This section of laws is not just for the sons of Israel, but also for Gentiles who live among Israel and who are part of the, the life of Israel, even though they have not become Jews and they have not been circumcised and they do not obey the law of Moses. There are a couple of things that they're supposed to do if they're going to live among the Jewish people. And verse 10 says... Um, for the house of Israel and for the alien who sojourns among them, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats the blood and will cut him off from among the people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on, uh, on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. So the next thing is don't eat the blood. That's, that's rule number two in this letter uh, to the Gentiles. And who's this for? It's not just for Israel. It's also for Gentiles who live among Israel. They don't have to obey the law of Moses to live there. But if they're going to live among Israel, don't be drinking blood. Don't be offering things to idols or eating things offered to idols. And don't be drinking the blood or you're eating things with the blood. Notice verse 12. He says, Therefore I said to the sons of Israel, No person among you may eat blood. Nor may any alien who sojourns among you eat blood. So when any man from the sons of Israel or from the alien who sojourn among them in hunting catches a beast or a bird uh, which may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. So notice that one. Don't let the blood, let's like a strangled animal where the blood is still inside of it. He's saying Cut the animal and drain out the blood before you eat it. So don't eat the blood. Also, don't eat the animal with the blood still in it. But drain the blood. And that is for who? The children of Israel. But it is also for the alien who sojourns among them. And you keep, uh, you, can, you can finish on down uh, chapter 17. But then you get to chapter 18. And there is a big, long list of who you're not supposed to sleep with. And a lot of it has to do with incest. Uh, you know, different family members don't sleep with these people. Uh, and then some of it has to do, I mean, it covers pretty much the full gauntlet. Uh, adultery after that, he covers homosexuality, he covers bestiality. Like, any of these types of sexual sins, don't do them. And if you look at verse 26, after giving this big, huge, long, you know, 20-something verse list of sexual sins not to engage in that we would call fornication, he says, but as for you... You are to keep my statutes and my judgments, and you shall not do any of these abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. Uh, why should the alien who sojourns among them not do it? Well, look back up in verse 24. He says, Do not defile yourself by any of these. For by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. So when they're going into the promised land, God is kicking out a whole bunch of people who lived there previously. Why did they get kicked out? Because the land was defiled because of their sins. They did a whole bunch of sinning there. And a lot of it was this fornication and all of that stuff. And guess what? They're not under the law of Moses. These are Gentiles who are living there and who are committing all these sins. And they're getting kicked out of there because of these sins. And it's being given to the children of Israel. So children of Israel... Don't engage in those same type of sins. And by the way, if you have Gentiles living among you, don't let them do it either. These are not for Jews or Gentiles. This is for nobody to do. And so what you have right there is this idea. And notice, um, notice 
some of the language that is used as you finish out this chapter. He says, For the men of the land who have been before you have done all of these abominations, and the land has been polluted, or the land has been defiled. Uh, you have a very similar word that's used right there to the one that is used uh, in, in, the, in Acts chapter 15. It, the, the reason that's going to be given, you can even look back at verse 25. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have uh, brought punishment upon it. They defiled or polluted or contaminated the land with these sins, and so they had to be kicked out of the land. So when they're writing a letter, they're saying, the, don't, don't, people who have been contaminated because of idolatry, or foods that have been contaminated or polluted because of idolatry, and the blood, and the animals that have been strangled and still have the blood, and the fornication, none of that stuff can come in. So here's what I think is happening. I think the church in Jerusalem, well, you can start turning back to Acts 15 now, but I think the church in Jerusalem is trying to figure out, okay, so we are adopting Gentiles into our family. What's that going to look like? Well, it's not going to look like they now have to become Jews. They're still Gentiles, and they can continue to be Gentiles. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to uh, obey the law of Moses. But what are they going to have to do in order to have fellowship with Jewish Christians and be able to, to live among them as brethren. Well, there were certain things in the law of Moses that even people who weren't under the law of Moses, if you were going to live among Jews, you still had to do. And if you read through that list, it seems to line up pretty well with the list that you have right here in Acts 15. And so I think what they're basically saying is, if you want to have unity with the church of Jews, you're going to have to take these types of things here. These are not necessarily requirements of the covenant, because these are for people even outside of the covenant who are just living in the land. This isn't like the law of Moses being forced upon you. What it is, is if you want to live among people who are obeying the law of Moses, these are some of the stuff that you have to do. Uh, that's, that's what Leviticus says, and so make sure that you don't take these things and bring them in. Also, when you look at the way a lot of these types of things were practiced, they were generally things that were associated with idolatry, like every one of them. Certainly, eating meat sacrificed to idols is associated with idolatry. Uh, if you go to a pagan temple, that's what's happening there. They're offering meat to an idol and then serving it, and then you would eat the meat. So, like, if you were to go, again, to Texas Roadhouse and order a steak, they're not offering up that steak to some pagan god of Maryville. You know, that's like, there's, that's not what would happen. But if you went to Corinth, for example, and you went to the marketplace, you went to the Agora, and you ordered a steak, guess what? That's going to be offered to an idol before you are served it. And that's going to make you have to answer some really awkward questions about, should I, should I eat this? I don't believe in that idol. So to me, it's just steak. But my brother right here who just came out of idolatry, he might not be quite so comfortable with it. Paul spends several chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians trying to sort through some of these issues, and his ultimate answer, it's, it's, it's an awesome answer for, for truth, for unity, and for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. He basically says, don't go to pagan temples and eat meat there. Flee from idolatry. You should not do that. Uh, however, if you go to someone's house and they're offering you meat, don't ask any questions. Uh, don't ask him where it came from. And, uh, there's, there's so much good practical advice in that, uh, in that answer. He says, if, the, if, if they bring it to you and they're telling you, oh, this is a sacrifice to this pagan god, then you probably shouldn't eat it. Um, but if they're just serving it to you, 
don't ask any questions, and you can eat it that way. And I think that, that's, that's pretty good advice. But if you know it's been offered to idols, don't do it. So it's not like it's a sin, objectively, the meat itself. But if there's all of this stuff associated with it, you should try to, you shouldn't flirt with sin. You should flee from sin. Um, and I think that's what Paul's ultimate admonition is. And I think it's pretty similar to what they're saying here. Um, he, he even starts that whole discussion off by talking about the contrast between knowledge and love. And knowledge says, look, I know that's not a real idol. So they just wasted their time and how they cooked it. But that doesn't affect me. I know it's not an idol and I know this isn't idolatry and I'm going to eat it anyway. But love says, I might know that, but I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to be puffed up. That's what he says. Love puffs up, but, or sorry, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. But love will tell me I can make this sacrifice and avoid it so that I don't put my brothers in an awkward situation. Uh, and so like Paul has to work through how this works out socially in a Gentile city like Corinth when that's how all the meat is cooked. What are you going to do? And that's, that's, those are some of his solutions. The church right here is saying, uh, don't eat the meat that's been sacrificed to idols. That will only cause problems between you and your brothers in Christ. Besides, you're supposed to be leaving idolatry anyway. So just, just leave that stuff behind. Uh, don't, don't try to bring it into the church with you. It'll only cause problems. But other things associated with idolatry would be things like uh, drinking blood or eating the meats with the blood. That's the way that sometimes Gentiles, especially in these pagan contexts, would cook their food. And so they were often things that took place at pagan temples. Same thing with fornication. You go back to using Corinth as an example. Uh, Corinth was well known for their temple having temple prostitutes. And one of the ways that you could worship their gods was through engaging in acts with temple prostitutes. Uh, that's not something Christians you're supposed to do. Paul also addresses that. He, he's very emphatic. Do not do that in Acts uh, or in 1 Corinthians 6. So like Paul in some of his letters eventually has to address these types of questions as they pop up in the churches. I don't, I don't think the blood one pops up very much, but he has to, to answer these types of questions about fornication. He's very clear. In fact, he says, flee from sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6. And then in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, he says, flee from idolatry when talking about the one about eating meat sacrificed to idols. So in both contexts, he says, just leave that stuff behind and go away from it. And that's pretty similar to what the church right here is being told to do. Now, the question is, is it certainly the fornication one? I think we could say that's a sin pretty much all time. Um, is it always objectively a sin to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. If you read 1 Corinthians, Paul is strongly opposed to knowingly, uh, certainly going to a temple and doing it. Uh, he, I mean, the way that he describes it, he says, like, it's like having the Lord's Supper with, with an idol. It's like the Lord's Supper is this meal that we share with one another, and it's a meal offered up to God, and that's what we do. Uh, and that's a fellowship between us. If you go to the, the temple in Jerusalem or if you go to the altar of the Jews and you offer animal sacrifice there and engage that, that's a fellowship meal with you. If you go to a pagan temple and you, you know, eat the meat that's offered there, that's a fellowship with a demon. I mean, Paul doesn't even see idols as, as nothing. Paul sees idols as actual demonic spirits. And he says, I don't want you to have fellowship with demons and then go have fellowship with the Lord. You don't want to join those things together. So, Paul's pretty clear, you can eat it if you don't ask questions and you just put your head down and eat it and you're not at the temple and someone serves it to you, that's one setting. 
The other is if you actually are going to temples, don't do that. Um, I think First Corinth or I think Acts 15 is largely saying, don't go do that type of stuff. Is it absolutely always a sin? You might be able to come up with some context where it's not a sin. Uh, but for the most part, avoid meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Um, possibly the same thing is true with, uh, with the blood. Um, I don't think the same is going to be true with the fornication. But notice how the letter ends in verse 29. He says, if you keep yourself free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. That's an interesting way to, to end that letter. You will do well. Um, I don't know that that's the same thing as if you keep yourself free from these things, you will be saved. Um, or if you do these things, you have sinned. I don't know that this is supposed to be necessarily, all right, the steps of salvation include here, believe, repent, confess, um, and uh, make sure that you don't eat blood and all this stuff, and then be baptized, and then you can be saved. Like, I don't know that that's actually the, the entire purpose of it, but I do think within the context of Acts 15, he's saying, if you want to be faithful to God and actually be able to maintain fellowship with the church here, which is what this whole thing is about, trying to have unity, these are things that will destroy unity. These are things that if you do them, you won't be able to have unity with your Jewish brethren. It will cause big problems. So we won't bring our law of Moses on you. You don't bring your idolatry on us, and we'll be able to get along. Uh, we're not going to tell you to be, uh, you know, be circumcised, but you don't be bringing bloody meats to our dinners and things offered to idols. Let's, let's figure out a way to where we can all uh, abandon certain practices join together and have unity and fellowship with one another. We won't bring our uh, law of Moses on you. You don't bring your idol type stuff on us. And we can, if we all do that, we'll get along real well. Uh, and when the Christians hear that, they say, absolutely, that's good. So here's the question. Can you order a, a, a rare steak? Um, I would say, uh, I think you probably could, um, provided there's no idolatrous stuff associated with it. I think that is probably the overall point. Um, but at the same time, you should probably look at who you're around. You should probably be cautious not to uh, uh, offend anybody with uh, the things that you're meeting. Some of this might be a matter of conscience. Some of this might be a matter of who knows and who you're around. Uh, but uh, those, I think, are some considerations to keep in mind as you think about this text. I don't know if I've answered any questions or just brought up more. Hopefully uh, that, that helps a little bit. But if there's anyone here uh, tonight who would like to become a Christian or would like to uh, become a member of the church here or have uh, uh, asked for prayers of the church, we pray that you would let that be known, that you would come sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.